it was not an easy thing to give up on. It took me a while yeah. to actually say, okay, my bilinguistics, I have to learn something new. I need to be able to survive in this country. I need to be able to take care of my daughter and myself and stop being dependent on family. Right. And so that is how I actually, at 33, again, this is something that I've talked about in my podcast. It was until I turned 23 that I break out, I successfully broke away from my family. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast with your host, Anya Fombat. I have here today a fellow friend and colleague, podcast colleague, <laughs> Solange Che of You Can Be Anything Podcast. And so we're just going to have a girl friend chit chat here, talk about, you know, specifically Solange's story and how she came about her podcast and just, you know, the story of her life, which is pretty interesting, I must say. I've had a conversation with Solange before and I was very intrigued and very inspired. So I am glad to have you here. Solange, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anya, again for having me as your guest. It feels different being on the other side of the right. room, right? Being the guest and not the host. Yeah. But thank you so much. I do appreciate you inviting me to your podcast and I'm honored to be here. Thanks. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here as well. Now let's just get straight into it. Who is Solange Chair? Who is Solange Che? If you want to know who Solange Che, you got to check out You Can Be Anything podcast because <laughs> that podcast is about me. It's, I talk about myself a lot in there. But again, for the purpose of this, Solange Che is the fifth in the family of seven. I come from a very, I call my family a very noble one. We actually have a host of show we call the House of Che Girls show. And that's just to show you the bond I have with my family and Besides, I am a mom. I have a 12-year-old daughter. And I wouldn't lie to you, being a mom has been fun. But also, I've had those days that I just want to cry. So that's the mom side of me. Mm-hmm. And aside of that, that's family. I'm also a Salesforce consultant, and which means I do Salesforce. A lot of people ask me, the salon, what is Salesforce? And I tell them, Head over to Trailhead. <laughs> so, yeah, so that is who I am, except there is more you'd like to know, but that is just a synopsis of who Solange Chair is. Right. Thank you very much for that intro. So, first of all, you're originally from Cameroon, and what state do you live in? Yeah, so yeah, I'm from Cameroon. 
not from anywhere in Cameroon other than small London. I am a blue blood uh, royalty, which means I have royal blood in me. Right. Wait, sorry, what, what is small people. London again? I keep hearing that word, but I forgot. Oh, that is, is Akum. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> I come from Akum, also known as small London. And mm-hmm. I'm not only just from Akum, I'm a blue blood, which means that I am a descendant of the palace of the kingdom. Awesome. So that's what my background is back home. Today, I live in Franklin, Tennessee, hiding somewhere quiet and cozy and being who I am, being my best version, telling right. myself that I can be anything. So. Right. Thank you. Now, tell us your story of how you got here. You know, I mean, basically, just tell us, you know, how you morphed into who you are today. So that is a long story. And again, I'll definitely be able just so that I don't Keep it and, and you know, feel free to interrupt and ask some questions because sure. when I start talking about myself, I never end. It's what I do. I talk. Yeah. Right? So feel yeah. free to interrupt and ask me any questions as I go on. But again, who is Solange Chair? How have I become what I am today? Just like any other Cameroonian child, growing up in a family of seven biological kids to my parents and a ton more that are just relatives so my parents are probably sponsoring or supporting as they grow maybe just made I grew up in a really huge home I grew up in Kumbu so for those of you who happen to listen this listen to this you'll definitely know that I also speak Lamsa which is the language spoken by the Nsop people and I speak Mbakum which is the language spoken by the Akum people talking about languages if you are smart enough you'll definitely know that I have a thing for languages I don't I would not just be thrilled that I speak English or French. I'll be thrilled that I speak something other than those two official languages of Cameroon. And this is one of the things that um, probably made me to stay when I went to university to study linguistics because I found a passion for languages. Mm -hmm. And truth be told, I did not go to university to study linguistics. When I went to university, my intention, my goal was to study journalism and mass communication because I felt within me like, you know, how growing up, they'll ask us kids, hey, what do you want to become when you're grown up? All what I said was, I want to become a journalist. I used to listen to the 7, 13 years in Cameroon and CRTV, and I just wanted to be those ladies back there. I wanted to grow up and be one of those ladies. Having my dad sit in the sitting room and listen to me read the news out to him was my dream. So when I went to university, that was what I wanted to do. But again, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, or the way it's supposed to be, I should put it, I did not have enough points to be able to study journalism and mass communication. And what do I mean here by points? So if you're listening and you're not from Cameroon, when you go to college in Cameroon, um, high school, right? When you graduate high school, you write advanced level of certification exams. You're expected to have a number of points ranging from, so you have like A, B, C, D, which also maps up with the points. So A will be five points, am I correct? A is five points, yeah. B four points, C is three points. And in order to study journalism and mass communication in Boya, you needed at least nine points. And so before we even go too far, the first time I wrote that exams, the advanced level certification exams, I did not make it. Did I not make it? I made it. But my fa- I did not make it to my father. 
points. So I had just three points, which means I had a D and an E. Hmm. This should already tell you that Solange was not the smartest young girl growing up. It didn't really matter to me to have A's and all of those things. I just wanted to pass and go forward. And that is how I grew up. My parents encouraged me. Nobody ever. I never failed an exams. Not really. I'll probably just feel like this, not have the 25 points that my sisters were having. You're just shooting for the bare minimum. (laughs) Yes, that was me. And that is the mentality. That is how I grew up. I just wanted to go to the next class. It really did not matter to me to be the, or maybe I just could not do it, but I know that it was not that important to me. So that is how, when I wrote the advanced level the first time, I did. I had three points, so UB could not take me. I have friends who made it to Boya with two points because, of course, where we come from, we can bribe. Not only from where we can be in the U.S., people still bribe their ways into colleges. So, And I just to interrupt you a little bit, for those yeah. who are not Cameroonian, UB is basically the acronym for the University of Boya. Boya is a town in Cameroon. It's a very popular university, actually, UB. Yeah. Thank you. At, at that time, it was the only Anglo-Saxon university in Cameroon. At the time, I went to university. So it was either I go to a French university or I go to UB. So it was really popular at that time. Today, we have the University of Bamenda. So things have become a little bit more diversified today. So at that point, I couldn't do journalism and mass communication. And my father encouraged me. Well, I even say encouraged. He made me repeat the advanced level mm-hmm. the reason i'll say he made me repeat is because i didn't want to do it i didn't want to see my friends go ahead and leave me behind with all that excitement of going to the university of boya everybody wants to get out of home and own a small room in the university city so i, I cried like a baby it was so disappointing i hated the fact that i had to repeat it but the only request i had was that i don't want to go back to boarding school. I want to go back to a lycée. That's a government, a public school, because that is where I started. And we agreed to that. So I went back to lycée, which is a public school, to repeat the exams. One year there, I still did not have nine points. I came out with seven this time. And journalism still will not take me. And my father still will not write. So this landed me into the hands of linguistics. And I happen to have. So what the university does is you apply for different, you apply to different departments. And if you don't meet their threshold points, then they just put you anywhere that they think they can put you. And that is what they did in me. They threw me into linguistics. I did not even know what linguistics was. So when I got in there, my intention was to, okay, I have admission. I've been granted a place to study. Unfortunately, I cannot be a journalism and mass communication major, but I was going to go ahead and do linguistics and just maybe in in my second year to have the possibility to switch, especially if you do well in your first year in whatever um, department they put you in. But again, after my first two semesters studying linguistics, journalism could not take me away. I practically fell in love with linguistics. I couldn't do anything else. Like I became a phonetics guru. I just loved phonology. And I did do a couple of minor courses in the journalism department, but I decided not to switch. I decided to stay with linguistics. After I realized what I could become or what I could do, being a linguist. So that actually kind of switched my mentality around and I started loving what I was doing. And that is how I ended up 
um, getting my bachelor's in linguistics from the University of Boya. Mm-hmm. And then I continued. I did my master's correspondence with the University of Köln in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I got my master's as well from the University of Boya and, and Köln corresponding. And that was in linguistics? Applied linguistics, correct. Okay. And so let me ask you, when you're, because you're the first person I have spoken to who did linguistics. So yes. what kind of, like, what, what, what's the curriculum? What does the curriculum entail? Like, do you guys, do they teach you different languages or do they teach you the ability to no. grasp languages or how does it work? So linguistics is a study of languages, right? Then when you get into studying languages, you study the different structures of languages. You study, like you see today, one of the most common things that you will find linguists, especially now that I have switched to the tech world, I still see people with the um, the natural language processing, the NLP. If there's anybody listening that is familiar with things like how you set up Siri and Alexa, those are all things that, as li- that linguists they get to understand language, the structure of it, they're able to feed these robots that we have on our phones. They feed them these languages in a way that whatever inputs that you give them, they are able to configure it in a way that you're able to pick the output that comes from the database where Siri and Alexa and Google speak all of these people. So a lot of people think that linguistics is studying many languages. It's really not. It is the study of a language. It could be any language. When I did my bachelor's, I studied my mother tongue, which is Mbakum. My bachelor's um, thesis or dissertation, whichever, I always get confused with how the U.S. calls this and how we call it in Cameroon. But my end of year, my bachelor's, Capstone. Yeah. So was it really, a, yeah, it's the capstone, yeah, something like that. You know, we call it dissertation, then you come to the U.S. or call it a thesis. So it's kind of, it's the same thing, but just called differently in the two parts of the world mm-hmm. that I happen to be a mixture of. Yeah. So, yes, I wrote that in my language. I did that in my language. I did uh, an analysis of WH words, like the who's, the where's, and how those are used. Um, when I did my masters i went into membe which is an endangered language so the reason i did that because is because my masters was geared more towards documenting endangered languages and endangered languages are languages are about to get extinct it could be getting extinct due to different reasons it could just be that people are migrating out of the villages people are not using those languages anymore or it could just be that another village is taking over these people and their language so they find themselves speaking the other people's language instead of theirs and so theirs is dying and when the people's language die those people die mm-hmm. so a language is what makes it's one of the things that makes a people people that will identify a group of people so that is one of the what is what is what i did for my masters making sure that i documented this bembe language as much as i could so bembe is a language spoken in Akwaya mm-hmm. in the southwest region of cameroon like it is spoken in all those the Akwaya region and part of nigeria mm-hmm. i didn't work with the nigeria side but again i was pretty close to the nigeria border to cameroon so 
again, so these are all parts of linguistics. This, again, doing language documentation for endangered languages. At one point, what I wanted to do was actually the speech language pathology. Again, like helping people with language disorders. Mm-hmm. Or all of the, this is all, these are all things that linguists do. And that's probably why when I saw the diversification, like the different ways that I could actually get involved and have that personal touch on a human life and somebody's I bet that that's one of the things that made me to stay with linguistics and just keep going with it. So right. again, just to answer your question, it's not just the study of languages. Yes, it could be easier for a linguist to learn another language, but the whole lingu- linguistic is, linguistics is broader than just learning new languages. So that, that would most likely entail like a lot of research, right? Like yeah. researching. But then how about, you know, like there's some remote areas, especially in parts of Africa where th- there's little to no data. And those are communities that are going extinct. Those are cultures that are going extinct. So how do you even get information about those areas before studying? You go to them. You oh, go you go there. Them. Interesting. Yeah, but then you were in I Germany. That's what I'm saying. Like, how did you go back? You know, because you had the master's in Germany. So how do you yeah. do that? So before I even, so when I finished my master's in Germany, studying with Mbembe people, right? I actually traveled to Bakwaya. I went there. It was <laughs> an interesting one. I was actually pregnant with my daughter already. That was in 2000. And when was she born? 2010. So I was actually pregnant with how, and I did my field work. That is a field work for my master's program, for my master's degree. And I went with this German lady, and it is a ton of trekking. Like, there are no roads. So we travel, and because what I was doing was close to my heart, till today she says she will never forgive me for not telling her that I was pregnant, and I had her go on this trip. And she had me go on this trip with her. But I did go on the trip with her. It's a lot. So we go to the people. Sometimes you can find people who are from those villages in the cities. Mm -hmm. But because it is a project that we want to document the language in its most original form, it is just better that we go to them. And so that entails some really exciting, scary and again, why would I say scary? Because it's not something that I am used to, right? Mm-hmm. Like living in a community, going into a village in a real remote place where people, so she didn't, when we came back, we were out for about three weeks. And when we came back, that's when I finally told her that I was pregnant. She was like, why were you, why were you back on something like this when you're pregnant? I was like, hey, my pregnancy cannot be a problem. It cannot impede my progress in this project because the only way that my father for one of the reasons he forgave me for getting pregnant out of wedlock mm-hmm. was the fact that I needed to complete my master's yeah so I was determined to make him proud I was determined to let him know that yes I might have gotten pregnant in school I was 25 doing my master's degree not married I got pregnant for my boyfriend and the only way that I could just win back his heart is to give him what I was in Boya to do, which was making sure that I give him that master's degree. And I was determined to do that. So I did tell that lady that, and she was like, I love you. Okay. Motivation, I was like, hey, I don't have a choice. <laughs> right, right. So, so that's interesting. So 
In terms of, sorry, I'm, I'm just very intrigued about, you know, linguistics and stuff like that. I kind of like, mm-hmm. it was one of my, when I was in, when I was about 14 years old, like during one of the long holidays back in Cameroon, we actually, my parents sent us to a linguistic center, you know, mm-hmm. so it was kind of one of the fun things that we did, but like to know that someone actually went to school and went to advanced levels in university to study that, that's pretty intriguing, you know, and I feel like that's something that's unique about you one of the things that are unique about you now like do they have like is there a technical side to linguistics because you're talking about like the siri and all of these other robots that you know talk on the phone so do they like configure like some code based on a language or based on you know the voice or whatever like before the output now comes about you know the various languages that they're talking about yes i would say that again Full disclosure, I have not studied the technical part of linguistics. I did do NLP, which is natural language processing, which is one of the processes that I needed by by developers who develop things like this. That's why in most of the teams that work, the developers that write the code, they either have this background or they hire someone who has the background. So the linguists themselves will not be the ones to write the code, but they are the experts in the natural language processing um, process. So they'll be the ones to like, to either consult with them, or maybe I know some developers who actually go and they learn this because so they can actually work as a whole themselves. Personally, I finally, I ended up with the part of linguistics that is more of documentation. So documentary linguistics. So I did not get into the technical part of it. I know at some point I did attend a forensic linguistic conference because I was I was also intrigued at how you see all the forensic investigations, something happens and they are looking at handwritings and seeing here you check mm. each letter, see how yeah, did this person write this. I recently watched a movie on Netflix and I was so intrigued. Oh what I think the watchers and they are looking at a uh, they're looking at a letter and they're trying to identify who wrote that letter. That's all part of forensic linguistics. And so those are things that I attended because they intrigued me, but I did not go into the core of studying those things. Even when I did my, so when I finished my master's, I did get into a PhD program still at the University of Cologne, Germany. And this time it was a step ahead in language documentation. So I still pick one of those languages in Cameroon that was um, highly endangered. Imam, it's also in those, um, because that side of Cameroon, the southwest uh, region in the Aquarius subdivision, that side they have a ton of these um, languages that I'd say risk extinction. So what the, the way I chose the language I worked on for my PhD was looking for those languages in Cameroon that are highly endangered, languages that run the risk of dying. People ask me, yeah. hey, why would you not go work on your own language? Why don't you want to put your language on the map and stuff like that? And I'm like, hey, my language might be at risk, but my language is not. The percentages when you compare to these other languages, especially in the suburbs like the border of between Nigeria and Cameroon, you see that those people, their languages are slowly dying. And to me, that is how, that is one of the criteria I use, the filters I put on when I chose a language to work on for my PhD. So it was something similar to what I did for my master's, but this one was my project on my own, unlike the one since I said I did it in correspondence, there were other people that were working on the Mbembe project at that time. This was my own project now for my PhD. So I yeah. started it from scratch. So 
Awesome. Awesome. So you were in university in Germany. So tell us how you suddenly appeared in America, because we're talking now from America then. You know, I know I, I feel like this is the most fun, not fun or inspirational part of your story to me, you know, based on our previous conversation. So I'm super excited to hear it again. Yeah. So again, um, for those of you who are listeners of my podcast, you must have heard how I, the challenges I had in my, um, I talk about that in the first few episodes of my podcast. The challenges I had while studying for my PhD, traveling back home, doing research, trekking for a day and a half, just because I wanted to go get data and having this data in original forms and coming back then at some point, I lost supervision. And because I lost supervision, my scholarship also got retrieved. So since I did not have a supervisor anymore, I also lost my scholarship. I tried for about a year to get someone else to work on that project with me, and I did not get it. So my scholarship, I was under the DAT scholarship, the DAD. It is a very popular and a really good scholarship in Germany. And I, even though I did not complete my PhD, I always still give gratitude to DAD for giving me the scholarship, right? For giving me an opportunity to study out of home and taking care of me while I was there. Not only of me, but taking care of my daughter and I. So again, after I lost supervision, I, the scholarship board, they actually gave me about a year to look for another supervisor, which I did not succeed in finding. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they had to take back their scholarship. And at that point, I was like, okay, thank you people for even giving me a year. I tried and I need to make, I need to take decisions. This is the point where I take hard decisions in my life. This is the point where I have to decide. I know I had put in how many, my whole adult life at that time, studying linguistics is the only thing I knew how to do. Apart from maybe being able to be a small entrepreneur as I did when I was in Boya, selling my salad in town just to make extra money. Linguistics was the only other thing I knew how to do. So it is, it was, and it was a very difficult turning point for me. And considering that I have, I have family in the U.S. So it was at that point that I was like, okay, it is time for me to migrate to the U.S. So I sought asylum, just like some other people who come to America. So as an asylum in the U.S., I was able to come into the U.S. and start afresh, right, to do something new. And the most difficult part here is not about coming into the U.S. It's about coming into the U.S. and finding your place, coming into the U.S. and not losing yourself. Yeah. Right. And to me, it did not take a year or two. It took me about two and a half years to finally say, you know what, it's time for you to give up that linguistic dream. Because even when I came to the U.S., I did have a couple of professors from the University of Buffalo. Then there was also one from the University of Chicago. I was willing to work with me, but I did not have a full scholarship. And my status would not let me. I couldn't take a school loan. And my family did not have the thousands of dollars paid here yeah. for tuition. So with that, I got offered a scholarship in Buffalo, but it was partial scholarship. I still could not even afford the other side of it. So that is when it actually dawned on me that, hey, you have to get smart. You're going to have to make some changes in your life that you might not like at that moment, 
that will be for your good. It was that point that I realized I had to give up linguistics. Mm. I had to give up that dream to become a researcher and a professor. That is what I wanted to do. That was my dream for the past years that I studied linguistics. And telling you, it was not an easy thing to give up on. It took me a while to actually say, okay, by bilinguistics, I have to learn something new. I need to be able to survive in this country. I need to be able to take care of my daughter and myself and stop the independence and family. Right. And so that is how I actually, at 33, again, this is something that I've talked about in my podcast. It was until I turned 23 that I break out. I successfully broke away from my family because my parents had still sponsored and taken care of me, my siblings, what we call black cats. That's another thing that I've spoken about on my show. My family took care of me until I was 33, not only of me, but of my daughter and myself. So I actually had a small me and that people had to take care of. And to me, this is actually one of the things that led me into the You Can Be Anything podcast. This is one of the things that reminded me that, hey, Solange, you did all those great things as a linguist. I know for sure that I was a good one. It is linguistics that made me realize my potential. It is linguistics that made me stop being average. Because as soon as I got to university, I was an average student up to high school when I did the advanced level. Once I got into university and I started studying linguistics, I was no longer an average student. I became an exceptional student. I don't know what changed. I don't know if it is just I discovered the value of what I I was doing. It was passion. I would say passion, you know, because, you know, they have this thing. Someone, I forgot who said it, like, you know, do what you love and you're never going to work a day in your life. You know, sometimes we, especially the standardized exams, I just feel like (laughs) they're useless, in my opinion, especially in schools, (laughs) because they force you to study all those things that are not even applicable to what you really, really want to do in the future. Mm -hmm. And then you write all the standardized exams that will not even make a difference in your life, you know? So, you know, the grading system, especially in the educational system in Cameroon, for example, I think it's very rigged and even in American system as well, but not as much as the Cameroonian system, just because they grade a fish based on how it could climb a tree and not based on how it can swim. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's like every one of us is smart in his or her own way, but they grade us based on what does not really apply to what we're passionate about, you know? So even though at least at some point you need some kind of basic education to set up that foundation for you to make that decision on what you really want to do in the future. But I feel mm-hmm. like doing that for seven years plus, or I don't know, it's just ridiculous to me, you know? So I I feel like you finally found your passion and that's why I didn't feel like you were doing too much to get the grades that you needed or you wanted. Like it came naturally and that's why you excelled in it. So tell us how you came across Salesforce. And I know you're a very successful Salesforce guru, I would say. So how did you come across that? Yeah, so again, telling you how I had switched again, I realized that I was not just an average girl. There is more to me than just wanting to go to the next class. And that is the kind of step I took 
when I decided to switch things in the U.S. Right. So again, just like any person that comes into the U.S., they have to you have to survive, and that's what I call survival job. I did a ton of those survival jobs, but while doing those survival jobs, I did come across Salesforce on LinkedIn because I was trying to up my LinkedIn profile to change it from being to academia based or to research based because that's what I've been doing in my past life. I, I happened to have seen the Salesforce Tower and I was like, wow, this is a beautiful building. The people that work in this building, do they have hunts on their head? I want to be in there. And that is truly, it was the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco that attracted me. Hmm. Then I went into what do these people do? Then I started looking into, hey, what is Salesforce? And what does it take to know Salesforce? But to work at Salesforce or what is it all about? And it is, those are the questions that came to my mind. I did not know anybody that had done Salesforce or that was doing Salesforce. No, I did not. Right. So I did my own due diligence. I learned about it, got an idea then. Talking to someone who knows someone like, hey, I found this new thing, Salesforce. I think I like it. So I'm doing my side jobs or my survival jobs and I'm learning Salesforce on there. They have a free learning platform, Trailhead. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time on there learning about Salesforce. It took me quite a while. Then finally I found someone that, again, friend's brother that was doing Salesforce. And I was like, hey, can you talk to me about this? And that is how I created that link and... It was a great thing to have found someone that I could just talk to casually about Salesforce and get to really understand what it was. But to me, that is how I transitioned. So I learned about it and started studying it. And I realized that I listened to other people's stories. And that's why I believe in stories, like telling stories, because people get inspired. Some other person's story inspired me to know that, hey, even though I don't have a background in information technology, I can actually become a great Salesforce consultant, professional, right? And so the stories of other people that were shared did inspire me to know that my background didn't really matter. I just needed to put in the time and the work and do what I have to do and I will be successful, which today is my story. Right. right? And it's the same story that I put out. Right, right, right. Thank you so much for sharing I mean, I, I would direct our guests to go to your podcast and listen to even more about your story because you really break it down. Like this is just a summary. This is the tip of the iceberg, honestly, because you have such an inspiring story from where you came from being in a position where you had to sacrifice what you really liked to now take that step of faith to see that you actually, there were also other things that you could equally be as passionate about. And I feel like in our African community, that's something that makes us stuck because we are groomed to either be a doctor or engineer or pharmacist or teacher or whatever we do, we end up doing, we are so groomed to just focus on that and not expand our horizons and not like believe that that we can literally be anything that we want to be. We can be anything that we put our minds to. You know, it doesn't even have to have anything to do with what you have studied all your life, you know. So thank you very much for making us understand that through your life, because your life is an example of that, you know. So unfortunately, we may have to end really quick, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I really, really, really loved your story of, you know, success. Now, one last question. If you had to do it all over again, will you will you study linguistics? Like, will you go back? Do you ever have plans to going back there? 
So that is a question that I get a lot. That people have asked me like, hey, are you sure you really don't want to become Dr. Chair? <laughs> and I'll say at the moment, it's not, it's really not something that I'm prioritizing. But again, I still have life in front of me. I look at it in that way. And considering that linguistics, considering that I've gotten into tech now, and I have a better understanding of how linguistics can work with tech, it is possible that someday I will go back and do a PhD and complete that. Um, maybe not, I will probably not do it in documentary or documenting languages anymore, but look at it more from the perspective of how linguistics will work with technology. Right. Um, maybe not necessarily Salesforce, but probably how linguistics will work with any other technology. And someday, I think I'm still good enough to go back to school and right. spend about four years to do to finally complete my PhD. And yeah, I think it's something that I'll consider a sign awesome. of yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for sharing. So how can our listeners reach out to you? Yes. So again, just as you've heard on the You Can Be Anything podcast, you'll find me on all the podcast platforms. you also find me on Facebook, You Can Be Anything podcast. On YouTube will be my name, Solange Che. On Instagram will be You Can Be Anything podcast as well. And again, you'll find me on Audible, all of those. I like to read and write. So I love the fact that I'm visible on Audible. Mm-hmm. So just uh, reach out to me. they Write on any of those podcast platforms, send a message. I'll be there to respond to you. And I have a website as well. You can be anything podcast.com. You can always check that out as well. But again, on social media, you will definitely find me there. And on LinkedIn, for those of you who might be more concerned, who might be more interested in my career path, you will find me on LinkedIn as Solange Chair. Um, I think I'm very visible there. If you find me, you'll see me. If you put my name up, I will come up. Just write it anyway. I'll come up. Right. That's it. Okay. Thank you very much. Any last words for our listeners before we wrap up? Um... The only last word that I'll have, which is the same thing I say every day that I go on behind my mic to talk to any other person, is that you really can be anything, right? And it's the same thing that drives my podcast. It's the same thing that drives me even at work. It's the same thing that tells me like, hey, Solange, you started by being a Salesforce admin when you learned this new skill. You went to being a Salesforce consultant and gradually getting to being a Salesforce architect. So... It is just me telling anyone that has to listen that sometimes in life we just have to believe in ourselves, but it is not enough to believe in yourself. When you believe in yourself, it's also important that you put in the work because dreaming is something that I do, but I don't just dream. I dream and I try. I dream and I work. Right. And that is why I always call on people to like, hey, it's not enough to say that, hey, I want to become something or somebody. You have to put in the work. Nothing good comes easy. If you're looking for an easy path to life, I bet you that you are not going to find it and have the fulfillment that you have if you put in the work and do it. I bet that fulfillment and the feeling of success, which is a very relative term, comes with what you put in. And I just encourage you who happens to fall onto this podcast and listen to me to believe in yourself more. Believe that you can be anything and 
putting the work. I wish you the best. Thank you so much, Solange. It was such a pleasure speaking with you, having this girl chat. So I want to encourage our community to keep having these conversations, keep motivating one another as we just did um, on this platform. So I want to thank you so much for coming on here for this quick moment. And I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you. it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another. Yay!